my family and I are in a fun transition in life. We are going to be um, moving. Uh, we feel God calling us to move closer into town. We, we right now live just on the outskirts. Technically, we're battleground. If you step over my back fence, you're into Yakult. If you step over my corner fence, you're into La Center. So we're kind of in this weird spot. Uh, but we're just kind of far enough away to where we, we've talked as a church about stewardship and how stewardship is more than just about money. It's really about your energy and it's about your time and your resources. And we just feel for where God's called us, we want to steward our time and our energy and our resources better. And we feel like being closer into our peoples uh, is one way that we do that. So we're in this transition. It's pretty new to us. Uh, We're going to be coming into kind of a, a rental transitionary place before, Lord willing, we find the place that we'll be kind of setting our roots down. Well, this process is is quite involved. And what I've noticed, the place we've been in, we've been there for five or seven years now. And there's things about our current living situation that because we, you know, have lived there, it's our home, it's kind of a hobby farm, it's five acres. And we have two big Great Pyrenees dogs that are about 130 to 150 pounds. And we've got a zillion chickens and goats and rabbits and kittens and it's so they do things to your property that you otherwise wouldn't have so like I've got these craters in my front yard uh, from the dogs uh, that I don't really care about you know that's the dogs they roam around they have five acres but they have to dig holes in the front yard right in front of the house there's those things there's places where the dogs have chewed on the siding I don't know why they've chewed on the siding but they've chewed on the siding and um there's places where I've done projects, like built a shop, and the shop is half-painted. I haven't caulked it. I haven't finished painting it. But hey, no big deal. It, it works. It functions just fine. Well, now that we're at this process, we're going to have to sell the house. I kind of go along, and I'm looking, and I'm realizing that there's a lot of stuff that I can't overlook anymore. There's a lot of things around my house that, that I've got I've to pay pretty close attention to, because if I don't, it's going to be detrimental in, in the selling process. And, and I bring that up because as we come to our text today, that happens a lot of times with scripture. It happens a lot of time with truth from God that we can we can get so familiar with certain things in, in concept that we, we kind of lose track of the importance of them. And as a matter of fact, this passage today for many people doesn't seem to have a lot of significance. I mean, it's only four verses. There are some commentators that don't even include much content or any content uh, in about these, these four verses. But Um, There is some amazing truth, significant, important, imperative truth that is really foundational to everything that we are as followers of Jesus found right here in these four little verses. And I look forward to the chance to kind of look at these things in depth. Read along with me as we go. Verse 13 of chapter 10 says, And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, the disciples, permit the children to come unto me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms, this is Jesus, he took took them in his arms and he began to bless them, laying his hands on them. There's really two things that this passage brings out that we're going we're gonna to dive into. And one is just that Jesus reminds us of the principle that is repeated several times throughout the New Testament. And that's that the way to enter the kingdom of God is to have childlike faith. 
And then beyond that, not only do believers come into the kingdom as children, but children themselves have very significant and special place within God's kingdom. As a matter of fact, babies, uh, babies serve as one of the most important illustrations of those who enter and receive the blessing of God because they can do nothing to, to earn it. And so in this time, this is really a shocking statement for Jesus to make in this culture of, of people, religious people, disciples, Jews, who had bought into a flawed faith that was based upon legalistic works. So let's break this down. Verse 13 says, And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. Now, they, they is the parents here. The parents are bringing uh, their their children to him. And and I think for a quick pause here, this is a great picture uh, for our day especially because it's become a common position in our culture today, and I hear it a lot how parents want to say, I want to allow my children to choose for themselves what they're to believe. I want my, my, my kids to be able to choose for themselves what their religion is or what their faith is. And I can say, you know what, from a, from a non-Christian, non-biblical, humanistic, and if I was even to go further over and be offensive to some people, satanic worldview, that sounds okay. But, but biblically speaking, which is what we are. We're, we're unapologetically biblical in our worldview. We're tethered to the truth of Scripture and, and our Bible. It is the most secure, reliable, proven, uh, infallible document in all of human history. It's our foundation. And, and because of this, this informs the way in which we bring up and raise our children. And so this, this notion that I'm just going to let my child choose for themselves, well, what is, what is a parent's job anyway in life? That's like saying, I, I want to just just give my, my child, give their heart over to a culture that wants to strip it of any inherent value and, and whore it out to its own ways, commercialism, ideas. I'm going to give my child, the child that God's blessed me with, given me, I'm just going to just set them free in a culture that, I'll tell you, a culture that is scary. We saw how scary it was Sunday afternoon. And so here, the parents, they're bringing their kids to Jesus. And I think it's so important for us. Train up your child, Proverbs 22 says. Train up your child in the way in which they should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. As parents, as people, as a church, how important it is for us to to train up our child in the way they go. Which leads to the first point here in your notes. Devote yourself to leading children to Jesus. As best as we can gather, fathers and mother, they're bringing these children, uh, many of whom are babies. Uh, to this particular setting. So we know that because in the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the same story uh, in, in about the same quantity of verses, but, but Matthew and Luke use the generic term for children. It's just a generic term for children, but, but in Luke, Luke spe- specifies and says babies, which is a specific term for infants. So there are both infants as well as you know young kiddos that are here, and this is very common in that culture. It was common all the way back to Genesis chapter 48, verses 14 and following where where Israel, formerly Jacob, had laid his hands upon Ephraim and Manasseh and he blessed them. Um, and, and so this tradition has kind of been carried on from this point forward. We're going to talk more about blessing when we get to verse 16 here in just a few minutes. But back to the main point here of devoting ourselves to leading children to Christ. This is, this is a charge for all of us whether we have children of our own or whether we are just part of the family of God. 
it's an opportunity. There's things within the family of God uh, that, that I know my children are going to learn um, through being part of this body that, you know, I'm, I've kind of got that dad syndrome. Whatever I say means nothing oftentimes, you know, but, but somebody else can say it. and It's like, oh, that's just, dad, I was really impacted by this. And I'm like, I told you that for 10 years. No, you haven't, dad. Uh, but we're, we're a family, and there's opportunities for us as, as a family to be able to, to pour into the lives of kids. It's why our children's ministry is, is so, so very important. And as we've seen already as we've gone through Mark, that there's almost nothing better than we can do than to, to give ourselves to loving kids uh, and letting, making sure that our kids know how much they're cherished and adored. And we have programs to do that, but we also need just to have a, a, a value system to do that. And I think we're doing pretty, pretty good at that. Um, but that being said, we know how important that is because of what we see happen here next in verses, in verses 13 and 14. Um, it says, but the disciples, the disciples rebuked them. All right, so the picture again, you got these parents that are lining up, and then the disciples see this, and they come out and rebuke the parents. Now, remember the context here. A few weeks ago, we were in the beginning, verses 1 through 12, and Jesus is talking with some Pharisees or some religious people that are trying to ensnare him and trap him, um, trip him up. And they're talking about the, the subject of divorce and remarriage and adultery. Pretty heady stuff, or at least they're trying to make it heady theological stuff. After that public conversations going on, they, they move into a house, Jesus and his disciples. And his disciples are like, Jesus, that was really cool what you're saying, but we're we still don't get this. Can you explain to us in a more detailed way? And so Jesus starts having this theological discussion about adultery and divorce and remarriage and all of these things with his disciples. This is a probably a pretty intimate setting. So that's the kind of the context of what's happening. But somehow, like always is the case with Jesus, people in town hear about it. So they just start showing up. And for whatever reason, maybe someone said, uh, Let's have our own little baby dedication service. And so there's these people that start lining up outside the door. And when this takes place, the, the disciples see this and they kind of, they get upset. They, they go out and shush these people, rebuke them, probably try to send them away. But when Jesus saw this, Jesus was indignant. He was upset. So if we put ourselves on the other side of, of this picture, we see that, uh, that you have these parents, they're outside the door. It's probably, you know, there's... There's snotty toddlers toddling around, and uh, there's other other moms or dads or big brothers or big sisters swaddling a, a, an infant in their arms, and and they're just kind of waiting, excited to have Jesus come and to lay his hands and bless and to to pray for their kids. And then and then pops out pops out this rebuke that comes from these disciples, and it sounds like. How, that's like adventures in missing the point again. That's that's like what these guys do. Uh, but think about their perspective, the disciples' perspective. Why are they doing this? Well, well, there's a few reasons why, most likely. And number one of those reasons is they're trying to protect Jesus, like Jesus needs protection. But they're trying to protect Jesus. And, and so they see Jesus day in and day out for two and a half plus odd years. They've seen day in and day out people are, are crushing around, thrashing themselves in and pressing in upon, upon Jesus and all of Jesus' time and energies. And, and so they, they, they realize that, you know, he's just come from this argument with the Pharisees, and now, hey, we've got him in this, this, this important discussion, and we just need to, you know, kind of be a buffer around, a buffer around Jesus and kind of and give him some elbow room. 
So that's one reason, and that's understandable. Uh, but the second reason was that in the disciples' minds, these are only children. They're only kids. They were of little importance, right? I mean, they're just, they're just kids. I mean, children cannot enter into a theological discussion about the issue of divorce, remarriage, and adultery. They wouldn't bring any value to that conversation. I mean, they're just kids. But Jesus sees this. He sees this going on, and he stops them. And why does he do this? He stops them because, number two, because our faith, the disciples' faith, our faith must be childlike. Permit the children to come to me, Jesus says. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. To enter God's kingdom, one must become childlike. Matthew 18.3 says it like this. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never, strong words there. Jesus is saying, unless you, speaking to adults, speaking to religious people, unless you turn and become like a child, you will never enter heaven, the kingdom of God. This is a super strong slap in the face to this culture that believed that one earns their way to heaven by doing good works. That one earns their way to heaven by doing good works. So often today we hear that same sentiment. You talk to people that, that maybe don't have a full understanding of, of, of the, the God of the Bible, the Jesus in the Bible, and they'll think, you know, what does it take to get to heaven? Well, I just kind of, it's a checks and balances. I try to do good, and, and hopefully my good outweighs the bad. Well, look at this analogy here. There's a, a childlike faith equation. I was always terrible at math, and I think that's because I have part of the image of God in me, um, because God's math doesn't always work. Here's the salvation equation um, in, in, uh, in terms of what we're talking about here. It's, it's his grace. God's grace plus my nothingness equals salvation. God's grace plus my nothingness equals salvation, equals entry into the kingdom of God. Children, especially babies, infants, could do nothing. They could do nothing to accomplish righteousness on their own they could do nothing to do good works they didn't know the difference i mean think of mckinsley who's back there um i don't know she's probably six weeks old or so give or take she can do nothing without april nothing she needs april for everything april knows this <laughs> especially this time this time of bringing um absolutely nothing they therefore um, were not even to be considered as viable discussions as it related to things in the kingdom of god but see she agrees with me. Uh, but because of their background, because of the background about children and what they thought about children, this statement that Jesus would have been made would have been absolutely shocking to them. And it's, it's not only shocking to the crowds, it's not only shocking to the religious people, it's obviously shocking to Jesus' very own disciples too because they had bought into this, this false, pharisaic, legalistic system in which their, their salvation is 
and their spiritual life is based upon the works. So, um, and this violates the, the, the conventional wisdom of that day. It really does. What Jesus is saying here is so shocking. But for us, for us, um, this is very much so, and, and many of the commentators said, this little passage that's so easy to overlook um, is, is very well maybe the, the most powerful illustration that we have in the Bible of being saved by grace. The most powerful and maybe not one that's more powerful. Um, and, and, and it also, at the same time, is conversely a rebuke of self-righteousness and legalism. Because babies cannot embrace the kingdom of God on their own. If, if you don't have a Bible, you can listen along. But I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bibles. Start in verse 4. But God. What comes before this is pretty good too, but... We'll start at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. I just want to stop for just a second before we go on. See the similarity between what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus and that of a baby? A baby has absolutely no possibility to do anything to help themselves. Absolutely none. Just like Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we are dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. I want to say dead man can tell no tales. That's from a movie. But dead man can do nothing. When you're dead, there is nothing that a person can do to better their situation because they're dead. And what Paul's saying, because you were dead in your transgressions, but Christ made us alive together, for by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing richness of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And then the famous verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then it goes on. So similar, those two passages. A child has no choice. My children had no choice in me bringing them, me and Julie bringing them into this world. None whatsoever. And yet Jesus is the one that says what? If you want to enter kingdom, you must become like this little child. And what does he mean that? He's saying a childlike faith is one that is helplessly dependent, helplessly dependent upon his grace, his provisions, period. Jesus is saying in verse 15 that those who are unworthy, those who are self-confessedly weak and helpless and dependent and humble, have nothing to offer the kingdom of God except their helpless dependence upon Jesus. Those are the one in which get entrance into his kingdom. And I don't know about you, every time I hear that, every time I went to review this sermon this week, I just love that. I love the, the freedom that comes from the truth that God does not accept me based upon my own work. I am a good guy in some levels as all of you are, but I'm born a sinner. That is the truth of Scripture. We're born into sin. Children, children even, even though they seem innocent, it's not their innocence in which gains them access to, to heaven. It's their humility. It's their emptiness. It's their 
helpless dependence upon, upon this. So question for you, I want to ask you, um, have you come to Christ like this? Have you come to Christ helplessly dependent? This is where children are so great as our teachers. Because children don't have the, the baggage <laughs> that we have. They don't have the accomplishments. They don't have the experience. They don't have the biblical training. They don't have a whole list of, of things that they've accomplished for God. Um, they have just themselves. And, and that's what we're called to do as well, to come to him, to come to him and come to him alone. Have you come to Christ like this? Is it your, your nothingness plus his grace, or is it your somethingness plus his grace which brings your salvation? I just think it's easy. I think it's easy, especially as I get older, especially as I get more, more pastoral, um, that, that I think that I'm kind of contributing something. I mean, I wouldn't say that out loud, although this is being recorded. <laughs> But there seems like there's sometimes a level of a level of okay, I've I've got this. All right, I'm not helplessly dependent. I'm not to say we can look at scripture. There's all kinds of proof that I'm being sanctified, meaning I, I grow and I'm maturing in my faith. But that growth and that maturity in my faith does nothing as far as earning my my salvation. I get to enjoy God more the more I learn about him, the more I serve him, the more that I learn to be selfless and empty myself of myself, which there's a lot of myself to be emptied of myself, and I keep filling myself back up with myself. Uh, So I have to learn this lesson. Um, But when it comes down to the fact that at the end of the day, it still has nothing nothing to do with my somethingness. It has everything to do with my nothingness. And that's encouraging. D.L. Moody was a, a, a famous preacher back in the day. He's passed on now. Bible Institute has been named after him. But he was off preaching, and um, he came home, and one of his congregants or one of his family members asked him, did you have any meaningful conversations while you were gone? And Moody said, I did. I had two and a half meaningful conversations. And this person said, oh, you must mean two adults and a child, I suppose. And Moody replied, no, two children and one adult. <laughs> and then he followed up and he said, the children, the children, this is key, the children gave the whole of their lives. The adults only had half left to give. Again, I want to ask you that question. Um, have you come to Christ? Have you come to Christ like this? His grace plus your nothingness equals your salvation. It's the, it's the freest gift that you'll ever be offered, and it's a good gift. Finally, number three says here, um, point is to, to pray for spiritual protection over our children. Verse 16, and he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Uh, as I said, the first point in verse 13 it was really custom for Jews to seek out a blessing for, for their kids. They wanted uh, the goodness of God to be poured upon their children. And I sure hope that is the same way for us um, as, as parents and as church members as we think of our own kids. You know, my nightly prayer for my kids is that they would just be champions for God, that, that God would pour out his blessing upon them and they'd be champions for him, that they would love the things that he loves, hate the things that he hates, and that they would forget the mistakes that I made as their parents. Um, 
so it's, it's common for that. In, in Jewish culture, we don't know what Jesus prayed here or how he blessed them, uh, but the most common or one of the most common blessings upon children that came from the, the Talmud, which was a, a collection of discussions and religious findings from, from uh, the, the rabbis. This is what that was, the common. But may you be famous in the law, faithful in marriage, and abundant in good works. Uh, you know, I think that's, that's, that's neat. That's a neat uh, kind of blessing as long as you're not taking the approach that they were taking. This is the means by which they would find their salvation. I certainly want my kids to be famous in the Word of God. I want the Word of God to dwell in them richly. I want them to know the Bible and know the, know the stories of the Bible. I, I definitely want them to be faithful in marriage, and I obviously want them to have a life abundant in good works, but only because they understand that they are able to love because they were first loved. They were able to love because they were first loved. Is that so clearly seen? Now, um, another thing that really, this is a second sermon, and I'm not going to go into it, but I do want to bring it up because it applies to this, this point. And, and this passage is the passage that, that most, um, most commentators would agree is the, 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 the best, clearest passage on answering a very far-reaching question uh, that many people ask, that struggle with, and that is the question that what happens to babies when they die? Uh, and since through history, as we know, um, millions of babies have died, um, so much so by the horrific murder of, of abortion, uh, but also just through through other other avenues, through sudden name of death and through different tragedies, this oftentimes leads leads people to ask, what really happens to 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 babies when they die? And 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 I guess the the, the sermon that I'm not going to preach, but just give you the the cliff notes for, is that. Jesus never blesses um, in Scripture. We never see him blessing anyone that's not a part of his kingdom. He never blesses and prays for those that are already part of his kingdom. And so, so with this being said, we can, we can with confidence know that these, these young ones, Jesus sees them as part of his kingdom. Now, the reason I need another sermon is, is like, how do you describe then um, that that the, the age of accountability, like when does that baby become accountable for accepting Jesus for their own? Because most of us have accepted Christ. Most of us have hopefully come to that place where we've realized it's it's my nothingness and his his everythingness, his grace, which brings me salvation. But what about those children? We don't know the answer to that question. I don't. Um, but there is this age of accountability. And, and, and what we need to take away from, the more important question for us is what this point is, that, that our children, our precious children, um, Jesus has them in his grips, but there is a point in time where those children are going to have to make a decision themselves for Christ because we know that, uh, that there's, no, there's no family lines within the kingdom of God. Every individual has to choose for themselves. It's not, that was the, the greatest sin of the nation of Israel, is, and it still is to this day. It's, it's this ethnic pride. If I am part of this church, if I am part of this religious movement because of my blood or because of my attendance, then I am okay with God. And that's so not true. It's so not the gospel in any shape or form. And so what's our, what's our response to that? What do we do as individuals, as a church? We, we pray for the spiritual protection of our kids because it's, it's horrendous, this idea of just, just sending our kids off into a world just to experience things um, because that world doesn't value them. That world cannot offer them what God can offer them. That world will want something from them in order for them to be okay. 
And our kids need to raise up as we need to be raised up in knowing that they are 100% perfectly acceptable because they're made in the image of God. They need to do nothing in order to be acceptable in his sight except embrace the sacrifice of his son Jesus. That's it. That's a beautiful picture. And that's what our kids need to... But there's a spiritual battle going on for the lives of our kids, and we're seeing this more and more and more. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we, we, we intentionally pour resources into our children's ministry. We, we have a Sunday school program that's on Sundays, and then we have a Awana's on Wednesdays. One's more outreach, one's more content-driven. Um, it, it's, it's why we put energies into these, these kinds of things. It's because it's, it's very important. But beyond that, it's our job as individuals, as parents, as a church, to, to be praying for those, those kids. Now, um, just to kind of close out, I want to just give a couple things that I personally feel um, are important for us in this room uh, to to apply here. Um, how do we how do we exercise helpless dependence? How do we exercise helpless dependence? Um, and uh, the first thing the first thing I'll mention here is being willing to humbly forgive other people. I love this about kids. Uh, I keep waiting, you know, when I, I, I trip up and I, I get frustrated, which is a, a sanitized way of saying I get angry and lose my temper. Um, I get frustrated and I have to go to my kids and I have to ask for forgiveness again. And how quickly, how quickly they are to, 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 to show forgiveness. And when I think of us in this room, I know, I know, there's many of us in here who are struggling with forgiveness. There's someone in our lives or some ones in our lives that we are struggling to reach forgiveness uh, or, or to release forgiveness to. And, and so um, I just, we know what Scripture teaches on that. Scripture says if you can't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So it's important to forgive. And, and uh, this is one way we can exercise our helpless dependence is to say, I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me to forgive. I only have it in me to hold a grudge. That's what I have in me. I I have in me the ability to be bitter. Um, I don't have the ability on my own merit within my own strength to forgive. So I lean on your forgiveness. I am helplessly dependent, Lord. You've forgiven me, and my offense and my sin is far greater than this person who's sinned against me. Um, not that God would necessarily look at it that way, but but releasing forgiveness, humbly forgiving. Who's the unforgivable person in your life? And would you helplessly depend upon the Lord to help you release forgiveness? Um, this next one is super theological. Um, smile more often. Smile more often. I just think this is so important. And and maybe again, maybe it's because I, I grew up in a context that it was it was sinful to smile. And um, and I just think. If if the Bible's true, and and I think it is, I know it is, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is to to be loving, joyful, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and that is characterized more by a smile than it is like sucking on a lemon, um, and and so as we as a church. As we as a church let our own lives be renewed day in and day out by the truth of the gospel, that we're completely and fully loved, we're a child of the king, I would certainly hope that it would bring a... It doesn't solve every problem in life, 
but it should certainly bring a sense of joy, and that joy should have an expression of, of a smile. No, not a fake smile, but you get what I'm saying, right? The, just that we would be people that are joy-filled. And I think that this is one of the best, as we think about our mission to reach with the gospel, those that are near to us but far from Christ, uh, your effectiveness to, to loving the people in this area and the people in your home and the people next door to you is going to greatly uh, be increased if you have a smile on your face. Um, so smile a little bit more often. I love to keep, see kids' smiles. Um, and, uh, and then thirdly, uh, and finally, another thing that kids are just awesome at, and it scares the life out of me, but they're awesome at taking risks. Uh, taking risks. When was the last time that you stepped out, you did something crazy? For God. <laughs> Very important little tagline. Maybe it's sharing your faith with someone who you knew would most likely reject it, or maybe it's knowing of a need and, and secretly emptying of your funds, sacrificially emptying of funds that you had saved for the next thing and, and funneled that towards someone else. Or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's what Jess and Jerry are experiencing. Jess and Jerry Beth, as they are right now in Papua New Guinea, that was a big step, a big step for them to take three weeks to, to, to head off. I mean, that's, that's a big step for them. Um, but what is it? What is it for us? Um, I think it'd be it would be great if we would be willing to to take some big steps, uh, some risky steps for the exercise of our faith, because we know that the God in which we love, the God in which we have given our life to, the God who is accessible to us because the veil has been torn because of the work of Jesus, that God is most pleased when we what? When we exercise faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, so an opportunity for us, and that's why kids are so great. Um, you know, you know the whole story where they'll jump off a they'll jump off a high place into your arms, and you're not ready for them. Those kind of things. Um, take some risks. Um, I think it's okay. I think when we take risks, and if we we fail, we fail forward. And those failings are oftentimes I can think of myself. It's those failings that bring the most character into my life. I wouldn't have been here right now being able to enjoy the greatest job on earth if I hadn't failed very miserably. And, uh, and I'm thankful for God that he, he kept me in his grace through all that. We're going we're gonna to close now. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I just want to encourage you to, to seek his forgiveness. Let him know that um, you don't want to do it on your own. You realize that you are unable to do it on your own. It's not about any any work. It's not about any religious affiliation. It's not about whether or not you were baptized as a kid necessarily. It's it's about your your um, helpless dependence upon Him. He'll wash you, cleanse you of of all of your past, present, and future sins if you would just receive Him. There's nothing greater in this life than walking with Him. And uh, as as we go, I invite the worship team to come up, and um, let's close in prayer. Lord, I just thank you that I'm helplessly dependent upon you. Uh, I thank you that I have a room full of brothers and sisters that um, are the same. But we do realize, Lord, that <laughs> just as I look at my life and I, I'm shocked at all of the, the the junk I've accumulated over the last seven years of living here in this, in this house, and now I'm in the process of having to choose which things uh, are necessary and which things aren't. I realize there's very little that's necessary and as it relates to um, as it relates to our 
faith. Uh, Lord, I just know that there's many of us that have added things on or we've taken on burdens or we've, we've taken on responsibilities that, that uh, need to be let go of. And so I pray for us as a church that we would be people that, that would practice helpful, helpless uh, dependence upon you, uh, that we would reach out uh, to this community and we'd be able to do it with a, a, a smile um, because of the, the joy that we've received in and through you. We love you so much. Uh, pray that you would go before us as we, as we close out, as we get ready to share a meal together. Just pray that every single person wouldn't be able to escape uh, this place without knowing of your great love for them. Thank you that we were dead in our trespasses. As a helpless baby, we could do nothing, but your grace has reached us and changed us. And for that, we're, we are forever grateful. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, who makes it all possible. Amen.